0: Okay, Boker Tov, thank you very much for coming and joining and learning together and giving me the skut of being able to learn together with you this morning. Um, this morning we're going to look at primarily Parshat HaZinu, Shirat HaZinu, and, uh, things that are connected to it. The truth of the matter is that we could spend the next year on things that are connected to HaZinu, but don't worry, we're not going to do that. Um, however, we are going to take a look at what HaZinu itself is about, a little bit of its broader context, and uh, indirectly how that impacts on the rest of Tanakh. To begin with, um, Hazinu is basic Torah literacy, right? in the same sense that anyone reading uh, something in English would be, you know, somewhat lacking if they didn't have any familiarity at all with a little bit of Shakespeare because they'd miss a lot of the allusions and what's being referred to, if someone has never looked at Hazinu or even if they're not fluent in Hazinu, they're going to miss a tremendous amount of what goes on in Tanakh because that's basic Torah literacy. Why do I say that? Um, Because whereas we're supposed to you know, be conversant in all of Torah, this is specifically true of Parshat Hazinu. If we take a look for a moment at the first source in Devarim Perk Aleph, okay, at the top of the first page, you'll see V'ata Azot, referring to, according to some, to the whole Torah, but the simplest shot according to, you know, is, is that it's referring to Hazinu. It's certainly referring to Hazinu, maybe more than that. Sima Lamanti Hashira Azot Laid Israel. Okay, this is one of the sources for the husband wife metaphor of uh, of uh, Hashem and Bnei Yisrael. Okay, so Hashem says, I wanna be able to tell you I told you so. In any case, the uh, I don't mean that seriously. start. Okay. Could <laughs> be careful, my wife is here. Gula's right over there. Okay. Um, the Malbim, the Malbim, on that Pasuk, says, Sima B'fihem, Sheyedu Baal Shira Azot, Kishir Le'umi. It's like a national anthem. It's something that everyone should know. B'nei Israel Hashem says to Moshe, should know this Shira of Hazinu, Sima B'fihem. It says the Malbim means we should know it by heart. Okay? And if not by heart, at least we should certainly be very fluent in it. Okay? And that's one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that the Nevi'im, the rest of Tanakh, Nevi'im and K'tuvim keeps, keep on referring, keep on alluding to, keep on basing themselves on Shirat Hazinu. All of Sefer Yeshayahu is based on Hazinu. Yechezkel is based on Hazinu, the third par- the third of the five Svarim of Tehillim. The third, the five star of Tehillim is based on Hazinu. Kohelet is based on Hazinu. One thing after another is based on Hazinu. Uh, Students who have been my Shurim for many years, so my Talmidim and Talmidov, very often I would begin a Shir and start saying that this alludes to Hazinu. As soon as I would say Hazinu, they'd start start laughing because, oh, it's Hazinu again, right? But it's not my fault I didn't write Tanakh, right? uh, The fact of the matter is that. It's basic literacy, and therefore it's referred to, alluded to, built on again and again. And it's well worth our while to be very conversant in it. And um, several of my younger children will, if they were here, will be able to tell you, you know, be able to recite it by heart because they know, they've heard this before, that, you know, you've got to know Hazinu by heart. Okay, please don't test me on it. <laughs> but at least, at least, you know, we should be familiar with it. Okay, so let's start with a pop quiz. They didn't warn you that it was a pop quiz, right? Okay, but it gives me a chance to drink my coffee. Who can tell me? Who knows? We just started, just began Sefer Dvarim. Okay, so it's a good time to ask this question. What is the last parasha in the Torah? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a trick question. Okay, the last parsha in the Torah is actually Haazinu. Okay, now... Nothing against Vezot HaBracha. Vezot HaBracha is certainly part of the Torah. I'm not in any way questioning that. But, but, um, Hazinu is really the end of the Torah. Okay, how do I know that? Same way I know anything else. The psukim tell us so. Okay, so let's take a look for a moment at Dvarim Perik Lamed Bet. Okay, right after, right after, this is on the right hand side, in the two boxes side by side. Okay, um, we have Dvarim Perik Lamed Bet, Pasuk Mem Look carefully at what it says. Right after the shirah, right after the shirah it says, Moshe ledaber el kol Yisrael. Moshe completes saying the dvarim HaEla el kol Yisrael. If we go back to the pasuk at the beginning of this week's parasha, right, the pasuk that introduces Sefer Dvarim, the bookend right, uh, the, the, of, of, at the beginning of Dvarim, Elah ha'dvarim asher diber Moshe el kol Yisrael, etc., Right? We can see that, Right? This is the same exact statement, except for one opens and the other closes. Right? In, in the beginning of Dvarim, we're told that the following are the Dvarim that Moshe told to all B'nei Israel. Here we're told Moshe completes saying all of the dvarim ha'ela, meaning Sefer Dvarim, he completes it, Vaychal, he completes it, that's the end of parsha hazino. we come to the conclusion of Sefer Dvarim, and with it the conclusion of the Torah. this V'zot Ha'bracha, so I'm sure we've all come across books that have a final chapter, and then afterwards, there's another chapter that follows, that's also part of the book, because okay, an afterword, but the point is that the basic body of the book, V'zot Ha'bracha, is already Moshe's, Final bracha and death, etc. But the basic conclusion of the Torah is parshat hazinu. And it's very important to understand this because it gives us a sense of the structure of the Torah, meaning that this is the closure of the main statement of the Torah. The main statement of the Torah is from the beginning of bracha through hazinu. Okay, so we're coming to the closing of the circle. And in fact, it's very fascinating that the word shira itself, the word shira itself, Shir and Shirah, which is of course how Parashat Hazinu, Shirat Hazinu is described in the Torah itself and beyond. So that term, it's very interesting that that is whether etymologically related or not, it's actually related to an Aramaic word but in any case, the point is that it is at least a very uh, fascinating play on words. Um, in Aramaic, in general, the word Shir means a circle. Gemara right? Mbamitzi in the second paragraph talks about where you find coins in a scattered way, and you don't have to be machris, you don't have to return, you don't have to hashav v'eda. Or it's in an organized way, and you do. And one of the examples of having a pattern is where the coins are kishir, where they are in or kishir, where it's a, it's in a circle. And in fact, uh, this comes from Sefer Yeshayahu. If you take a look just below, okay, in Sefer Yeshayahu, in Paragimel Pasuk Yutetet, where it talks about B'hashe wrote. And, um, if you look at Rashi, and in fact all the Mepharshim, they say that it, t- it means, tsmide, hazroa, etc. Um, the, the, they're talking about armlets, bracelets, things of that nature, things that are circular. Okay, so the, the idea of the sheer itself may well be a play on the idea of a circle, but certainly, um, whether or not that's what the word means, certainly what's happening with Parshad Hazinu is a closing of the circle. Okay, we begin. Embrace it. The circle closes with Parsha Hazino, and we'll see why that's important in just a few moments. Many mafarshim point out the Hamak Davar. The Nitziv, has in his Akdama has a very famous and beautiful piece, which we have right below in the middle of the page, where he talks about the nature of poetry and poetry in general, and poetry in the Torah in particular, and the nature of Torah as poetry, the nature of Shirat Hazino as poetry. And um, one of the things that distinguishes poetry, this is something that Rassavajich spoke about as well. The idea that, in if you look at um, a shir or a shiran, the Torah, there is much more white space, much more blank space, right? And they explain that what that signifies is the fact that in a poem, as opposed to prose, much of what is being said is between the lines, right? It simplifies the fact that much of it is between the lines, and that's certainly true. Um, of the Torah in general, it's especially true of Shira and especially shirat hazinu. Okay, so having said that, we're almost ready to begin. Okay. Dvarim um, parak shirat hazinu. We're going to talk about three levels, three levels, three dimensions of shirat hazinu. Okay, that's the main focus today, to talk about the three different levels and the relationship between them. Anyone who takes out, let's say, uh, I, I don't recommend you do this at home, but if someone were to take out an English translation, I'm very down on English translation, but that's a different story, um, the, if you, if you, uh, take out an English translation of Hazinu and just read the basic, you know, just on the surface, okay, just read it on the surface, the first thing that will certainly anyone would get out of it is that's talking about Hashem and B'nai Yisrael, and it's talking about the blueprint of Jewish history, it's talking about Darach HaShem, it's talking about how HaShem runs the world, and particularly it focuses on the, the classical issues that run throughout all of Tanakh, Chait, right? It talks about sin, it talks about Onesh, the consequences, it talks about Tshuva um, and Tikun, about correcting, repairing the situation, the whole cycle, the whole gamut, is covered in Hazinu, and that's you know, the this surface is talking about B'nai Yisrael, okay, on a national level, a Jewish level, talking about Am Yisrael and our relationship with Hashem, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the whole process, it's all there, okay? That's Hazinu in a nutshell on the surface, okay? Let's call that, let's call that, for uh, sake of uh, identi- identifying it, we'll call that level one, okay? Even though it would be more convenient for me to call it level two, but we'll call it level one just because it's the most obvious. Okay, that's just on the simplest shot level. Anyone you know reading it would see that. We're not going to spend any time on that because that's just self-explanatory. I don't need to sit to stand here and translate for you. You can you know, if you don't, if you're not already familiar with Hazenu, by the end of this morning, I hope you'll be motivated to become very familiar with Hazenu. So I'm not going to worry about that. But let's go to level two. Okay, level two. Level two connects. To what we spoke about a few moments ago. The idea of the circle, right? The circle, closing of the circle in the Torah. Uh, if you will, the reprise of the Torah. What's going on there? So, where do you put your watch? Okay. I'll keep track of this. So, if you look at Parshat Hazinu, there are an incredible number of allusions to the beginning of Breshid. And Specific individual examples are found already in many, many, many of the Mefarshim who point out one here, another there. Okay, you can look at the Tsor Hamor, you can look at the Rabenu Bachya, you can look at the at um, um, where am I getting uh, the Svarno. Uh, many, many of the Mefarshim who point out specific connections to Parsha Breshit. However, as you start to go through it. And the more time you spend on it, the more times you go through it, you'll see you can't walk a couple of words without bumping into, maybe even less than that, an illusion, a reference, something that an echo from Parshat Bresha. And that's not coincidence. The point is, this is the other bookend of the Torah. This Parsha Bresha is the beginning of the Torah. Parsha Hazinu is the end of the Torah. Okay? And that's why I made a point of that. That's the end point because we're closing the circle. Okay, we're closing the circle. And therefore, we're going back to the beginning. We're going back to where we started. We're coming to the scene. We're coming to the conclusion. It is taking us back to Breishit, but on a different level. Okay, as we will see. Okay, it goes beyond, but it takes us back at the same time. And that's really this is one that Mefarshim point out right away. Haazinu, <speaking in> hashamayim, v'adaberah, v'tishma, ha-aretz and refi, Right, the very first pasuk. Moshe is, in effect, saying, Sh, shamayim and aretz, Right, that we recognize from breishit, be quiet. There's going to be a replacement. Right, there's a replacement for that shemayim and arts that we have in breishit. Now there's going to be a new Shamayim of arts. You be quiet and listen to what I have to say. Says Moshe Rabbeinu. And so we begin. And I'm not going to go through them again. Look at it. You know, when you have a chance, and you'll see one after another after another. I'm just going to things that you know. Pasuk bet, you go to pasuk There's the matar. There's the desha. There's the Asev, Right, all these should be familiar to us from. From Parsha Breishit, we continue on. Um, I'm not going again. I'm not going through all the examples. I want to focus on Pasuk Yud and Yud Aleph. Okay, Yud and Yud Aleph. This is where I became convinced. Okay, when I got sold on this idea with Pasuk Yud and Yud Aleph, I was going through it piece by piece by piece. And you know, I'm a very skeptical type of person. Okay, maybe, maybe it's alluding to it. I don't know. We have to see. Let's check it out. Let's see the evidence. But when I got to Yud and Yud Aleph, it's just overwhelming. Okay, in Pasuk Yud, we read as follows. I'm going to read Yud and Yud Aleph together. And here we have two words. Two words that appear only twice in the entire Torah, Right? The, I don't mean in the same exact form, but the word tohu and the word right? tohu, not an easy word to translate, but tohu, uh, just take it simply as nothingness, whatever, however you want to translate it, and and right? to hover. and these, of course, appear only one other place, and the one other place where they appear, if you want to see it, don't take my word for it, if you turn the page, okay, on the bottom of page two, you can see, <laughs> right, you can see, okay. pasit bet, Aret haita tohu vavo, v'choshach To tohom, again we're on the bottom of, the box on the bottom of page two, aret haita tohu vavo, v'choshach alpenei tohom, v'ruach elohim imrachefet alpenei amai, okay? And where you have, not one, but two words, that appear only in these two places in the Torah, and both times they come together, in one case one pasuk after the other, in the other case in the same pasuk. and it's not stam haphazard places, but this is the very beginning and the very end of the Torah, Okay, that that for me, everyone has to decide for themselves, but for me, that told me that there's something significant going on here, and that there's a deliberate return back to Parsha reshid, there's a closing of the circle here. So, if we turn the page, and for the moment I'd like to focus on the area that's shaded okay, at the top of page two, okay, the area that's shaded. And again, any of the examples I'm going to give could be multiplied by many times, but I'm going to give just a few quick examples just to show you what I'm talking about. Okay, if you take a look at this section, why is it shaded? It's shaded just to call your attention to this section is basically the heart of the Onesh section. Okay, this is the punishment. This is the consequence of the Chait. And if you look at this section, which on the surface is talking about, and it is talking about, but that's the surface level, level one. I okay, dimension one. It's talking about B'nai Yisrael and Onesh, Khurban, etc. So watch what it says. And I'm going to just focus on a few things. First of all, here's one which is fascinating. Okay, pasuk chafdalid. We'll start with that. Meze ra'av uluchume reshef. Uluchume is a common play on words in Tanakh of the word milchaman, the word lechem, right? Of 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 war and of uh, and of uh, fighting and of uh, food. Okay. Meze ra'av uluchume reshef. The Keta afar. Okay, and it's so fascinating. We have this reference to the hunger, the deprivation of food, specifically focused on lechem. Okay, in this play on words, that we have this idea of the the deprivation of, of course, pecha lechem, the difficulty in acquiring lechem, food, uh, bread, however you want to translate it, in Breshin, the Onish of the Eitz Hadad story. And then the end of the pasuk is imchamat zochale afar, with the fury of those that slither in the dust, right, right and we remember in it how one of the, right, how the Nachash is told that how it's going to slither in the Afar, it's going to be on its belly and slither in the Afar, how it's going to how there's going to be this animity between man and the, and the serpent, right and the uh, uh, this this there's going to be this animity that Hashem places between the snake and between mankind and of course that's Hamat Zochaleh Afar, right? The fury of those that slither in the dust. Um, we take a look at this section again. And to give you, again, another example, there are so many, but I just want to show you one that's really, I think, amazing. If you take a look in Pasuk Chaf, and these are fairly rare words, at least uh, many of them. Pasuk Chaf, if you look at what's underlined, okay, it talks about Dor tahapuchot. Okay, take note of that word tapuchot. We go just a couple of psukim later to tilahet moste harim. So we have this right the tapuchot, this from the word lahafokh to turn over. We have this word lahat, right? The 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 flame. And then we go to pasakhaphey. Again, it's all in this one little section, pasukaphe, michut tishakel cherev, right? Outside the sword deals death. Okay, right after the chait of Adam and Adam and Chava are kicked out of Gan Eden, and Hashem to ensure that they're going to die and not go back and eat from the Eitz Chayim. What does Hashem do? Hashem places the kruvim and the lahat hacherev hamitapechet outside of Gan Eden. Is placed right michutz Shakel cherev outside the sword causes death. Right, that's exactly michutz tishakel cherev, and it's the lahat. Okay, And again, as I said, you trip over these things every place you go in Hazinu. I'm only giving you a few examples because we have much bigger fish to fry, but we want to at least see just a few examples to understand what it is that I'm talking about. And, you know, read over Hazinu, you know, 20 or 30 times, and you'll see again and again, just so many, so many, so many examples. Um, it's not only the story of the Eitz Hadat, and by the way, there's so much in Hazinu about the lack of da'at or chachma, etc., etc., about knowledge and understanding and not having it. There's so much about the every aspect of the eitz story is reflected in Hazinu. But beyond that, the continuation of the eitz story, the continuation of the eitz story, which is the story of, continuation of the story of the Etzadat, the story of Kain and Hevel, Right? Okay, the completion of bringing death to the world, and the completion of the, the other aspect of the chayt, the benam lechaveru side of it, the, and so on and so forth. Is, again, we're not going to go through it right now, the curse of the land that continues and so on. Exile, all of these things. But if you look in this same little section of the Onesh, you'll find the story of Cain and Hevel alluded to as well, not only in this section, but in, including in this section. It really starts earlier, um, in Pasuk Vav, which is on the other side, but you don't have to turn it if you don't want to. But um, on page one, Pasuk Vav, okay, it talks about, And here we have, of course, this is the, this is the explanation for Cain's name, right? Why is Cain called Cain? Because Kaniti Ish et Hashem, right? Kaniti Ish et Hashem. I've created a human being together with God, says Chava. That's Cain. Right? I've created a human being together with God. Halohu Avicha He Hashem is, right, your father who created you, right? It's the other, it's a mirror image of what we have in Brashid. And here we go to page two, the shaded part once again. Okay. I told you you didn't have to turn. Okay. And listen. So if you take a look, you'll see, um, we'll take a look at uh, Pasuk Chaf and Chaf Aleph, two consecutive B'sukim, and look what we have here. Right? Kain says, um There's just, the again, the flip side of it. Um panecha esater says, "Kain, I will hide from your face. Here it is, Hashem says, I will hide my face from you. It's the same idea, just the other mirror image. Him kinuni again jealousy right the jealousy in kain kain and kina him kinuni below el kiasuni behevlehem okay you want to see it right the Shoresh of behevlehem of course hevel okay kinuni behevlehem we have the kina we have hevel and so on it continues and again the curse on the land the deprivation of food and so on is of course connected with that as well. So these are just some of the examples of where we have a throwback to Bresham. But we don't need to be told the story of Bresham. Again, we've been told that already. The point is that it takes it further. Okay, It brings us forward. Where does it take us? So for me, the pivotal Pasuk in Hazinu is Pasuk Lametet. And let's take a look at Pasuk Lametet. And again, let's look at it in the, against the backdrop of the chait of Adam and Chava, the Chait of the Eitz okay? And let's take a look at what Pasuk says. And this is a Pasuk that has echoes throughout all of Tanakh, very, very pivotal, very seminal Pasuk. Take a look. Re'u ata ki ani ani hu ve'ein Elohim imadi. The first half of the Pasuk. Hashem says, it is I, that's it, and there are no other gods, right? What is the story of the Eitz Hadat? ke'lohim. Yod That Adam and Chava think that they're going to be Elohim, right? They're going to take the place of Elohim. But Hashem says, no, there is no other Elohim. It's just me, right? <laughs> Chava takes the place of Hashem instead of what we have throughout Perak Aleph of Breshet, right? which is the refrain throughout Perak Aleph in the creation story. Right? In the creation era we have again and again, is replaced by Vatera haisha kitov, right here. Instead of Bayara l'kim kitov, God sees defines what is tov. Where is, is tov? What is ra? Chava is deciding what's tov and ra. Vatera haisha kitov, right? That's the viyitim killed him yudei So Hashem says here, Reu atak yaniyanihu ve'enelu himi madi. Ani amit v'chayeh machatz tivanir pa ve'emiyati matzil. Says Hashem. I have brought death, but I will bring back to life. Okay, the Sifrei, the Midrash Tanam, on this Pasuk, comments, and it's I'm convinced, Pshuto but the Sifrei points out, it's not my Khaddish, but it's, it's clear. There, there is a Hakbalah here, there are two parallel phrases. Ani Amit Vachayeh is one, and the other is Machatzivanirpa. Just like machatzi Ani Arpa, I wounded and I will heal. You're talking about the same person that you that Hashem is saying I will heal the one that I wounded, right? Clearly, it's talking about healing. I, I've wounded and I will heal. You you heal the person that is wounded. So too, Ani Amit Vachayev, which is parallel to it. Again, I'm saying it in my own words, but this is basically what the Sifrei says. That ani amit it's, also, it's not saying that Hashem gives life to some and death to others. It's saying I will bring back to life ani amit, but then vachaye. This is one of the. This is the the uh, the source uh, perhaps in Chumash for the idea of tzikat HaMeitim, But there are many others in Tanakh, elsewhere. Not go through them right now. It's not our topic. But this is one of the places where we have tzikat in Torah and just in the um, let alone in Chazal, but in in Torah we have this idea of tchiat hametim. hametim is the antithesis, right? It's the cure, to borrow the imagery of this pasuk. It's the cure for death, right? It's the antithesis of death, which is of course the primary onesh of the etadat, right? The one thing that Adam and ha, that Adam is warned about, that Adam is warned about before the chayit is b'yom right? Even the etadat, you are going to be liable for death, you're going to die, however you want to translate. But again, death is punishment number one for the etadat. And here we come to the reprise. Right? We come to the end of the Torah, the closing of the circle, and in place of b'yom we have ani we have the Triat Hametim, right? This is the closing of the circle. And that is level two. Level two is where the story of hate and Onesh and tikkun and Tshuva, all these aspects of the process, all of these we have first on level one in terms of Am Yisrael, but on level two we have in terms of mankind in general, right? in terms of all of mankind, in terms of the story of Adam and Chava, representing all mankind, that's the second level. Okay, so the first level is in terms of in terms of um, Bnei Israel. The second level is in terms of in terms of um, mankind, in terms of Bnei Adam. And now we turn to the third and most subtle, but nonetheless fascinating, and perhaps in some ways. Well, anyhow, the most subtle of, we'll leave it at that, the most subtle of the three dimensions. Let's go back to page one. And now we do have to turn back. So I was learning Parshat Ha'azinu, and I noticed that there is scattered across the landscape of Ha'azinu a word or object that comes up very atypically again and again and again. Hashem is referred to metaphorically this way in this section. And Hashem is referred to this way again afterwards, but to the best of my knowledge, not before. And it's very atypical. That Hashem is described this way it appears again and again there are, there are plays on words using this word. But even just if we limit ourselves even just to the uh, actual occurrences of the word, it comes up so many times in such a short little poem. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The word is sur, right? So if you just take a glance, right, it just like jumps out at you. There's just one after another of these, right? Tzur, Tzur, Yilan khateshi referring to Hashem, you've forgotten the Tzur, the rock, right, that that created you. Uh, it talks about plays on words of that, the fS Atsur, right, not etymologically related, but it's a play on the word, the Fs Atsur, Vazub. It talks about Tzaremo for the enemy, and sevoye, it talks about Tzaremo, and so on and so forth. There are so many, so many times where it keeps on talking about the Tzur. And so, it was hard not to see this, but 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 I was totally confounded. I had no idea, like well, why are we talking about rocks here? What, is, what, what does that have to do with anything? Why is Hashem from the, you know, all of a sudden referred to as the rock? What is going on? What's this all about the rocks? The Seder, but it's an observation. It's important, you know, you have an observation, you put on the observation, a question, whatever. it's important to put it on the side until you have more perspective, more thought, and eventually, eventually. So it occurred to me that the key is in Pasek gimel And the reason that I think the key is in Pasek gimel is because whereas in general, the word sur is used here by extension, in Pasek Yud-Gimel, it's used in its primary meaning, as literally a rock, right? Meaning elsewhere, it talks about Hashem as the rock, right? Figuratively, um, we all understand Hashem is not actually a rock, but they, they, it's used as a metaphor, it talks about, there are plays on the word, right? As we mentioned, tsaremo and atsur. There are all these extensions, but the, the home base seems to me is Pascu gimel. So we go to Paschkew gimel. and what do we have there? Ah, that's very interesting. Okay, so the tsur and the sela, are very interesting images. The surah and the cell are very interesting images. Two different words for rocks. And I'm not a geologist. I'm not going to go into what the difference between one and the other is. It doesn't really concern me this second. But if we turn to page three, if we turn to the top of page three, we have two very similar, but extremely different stories in the Torah about Moshe hitting the rock, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look in Shmuel Parakud Zayin at the end of Parsha right on the right hand top of the page, you'll see that it repeatedly talks about his hitting the tzor. Whereas in Bamidbar, right in Bamidbar, where it talks about his hitting the rock, it talks about his hitting the sela. Okay? I'm not going to hazard a guess why one or the other, but I just wanted to note the fact, okay, that there is the story of, you know, in English we say Moshe hitting the rock, but there are really two stories and they are vastly different. One is a story of Moshe carrying out Hashem's command and the other is a story of Moshe not carrying out Hashem's command and all the consequences that go with that. And the first is a story of the tzur and the second is a story of the selah, okay? maybe yes, maybe no, significant that if you put the two together, there are actually seven mentions of the rock between the two narratives, which seem to be two parts of one story, but okay, we'll leave that for, for your own consideration. But the point is that either way, we have the story of the tour and the story of the selah. So, I'm going to make a wild suggestion, but don't laugh yet until you've seen everything. Okay? Because... If you're laughing at me, I'm not in this alone. Okay. So what occurred to me was the following. It seemed to me that, after all, who is the person who is saying this poem? Right? Whose poem is this? This is Moshe Rabbeinu's, right? And the story of the tzur in the selah is awfully important to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? And here is Moshe Rabbeinu at the very, very end of his life. Right, and it was all of Sefer Dvarim takes place in the last few weeks of Moshe's life. The end of Sefer takes place in the last day of his life. We come, we're here with like the last moments of Moshe's life, and Moshe knows he's been told that he is about to die, and Moshe starts talking about the tzur and the selah. Right? And the reason he's going to die now is because of that story of the tzur and the selah. right? And what do I think Moshe is saying? Okay, and this is what I'm saying to myself, that Moshe, there's a, there's a between-the-lines, there's an almost silent tefillah here to be able to transform the selah into the tzor. Right? The symbol of Moshe's chet and onesh is after all the selah. Right? And we know that what is tshuva, where is the correction of tshuva? It's where we take right and act the same action, the same situation, the same circumstance, and transform it from chait to mitzvah. I believe that for Moshe the tzur, which is this story, albeit it's not tshuva because it was before. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying, but the symbol, the icon for tikun, for Moshe Rabbeinu is the tzur. In other words, you can see Moshe saying to himself, if only I could take the selah and transform it into the tzor and undo all of this. right, And be able to live and be able to go on to Eretz Yisrael and be able to lead the Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael to undo that whole, that whole selah story. And so what does Moshe talk about again and again and again throughout Hazinu in this poem which is about Chet and Onesh and Tshuva and, and Tikun? What does he talk about again and again? He talks about the tzor, the tzor, the tzor, the tzor. Okay? So this is the wild idea that I had. I later found that I was not the first to think of this. I was very gratified to see that. And I will show you that as Rasham shortly. But in any case, that's level three. And it was level three, I believe, is where Moshe Rabbeinu takes this story, this theme of Chait, Onesh, Tshuva, Tikkun, that whole process, Geula, that he takes and applies it not only to B'nai Yisrael and not only to B'nai Adam, but to himself personally. Okay, to himself personally. There's this personal dimension as an individual of Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, I'll show you. Let's turn the page for a moment. We're going to come back there, but let's let's look at the top of page three. No, it's page four. Sorry, page four. We were already on page three. Midrash Tanchuma. I just want to show you two sources that I think are incredible. The first is a Midrash Tanchuma. Okay, the Buber Midrash Tanchuma. Buber edition of Midrash Tanchuma. Parsha Hazinu. Which says the following. Hazinu Hashamayim ad Beber Tishmaratim Refi. Ze Shamarakatuv. Okay, that's what the Pasuk says. It quotes the Pasuk in Mishlei. Listen carefully. Nefesh amel amlalo. An industrious person works for himself. Okay, was, what is the story of Hazino? That Moshe is looking out for himself. Right, that's what Chazal says here. And it goes on to say, in case that's not clear enough, I think it's already clear, but even if, if not, Maraam Moshe lekrolo Shemayim va'Arus bishat petirato. Why is Moshe calling to the Shemayim the heaven and earth, as he's about to die? Elam dechasha karau He's calling them to to command them to charge them about himself. Okay, nefesh amla nefesh amel amla lo. He's working on his own behalf. Amalaham, etc. etc. Okay, we'll get to the end. There is a second source that I just want to show you for a second. I am absolutely not a Kabbalist or a Zohar person or anything. I claim no knowledge whatsoever. But I stumbled on the Zohar and you just got to see, without trying to understand, without trying to derive anything from it, but just to see what it's, it's really remarkable, just in, as a lexicon, It's incredible. This is the story of Moshe hitting the rock. The story of the tzur with Moshe hitting the rock. Right? sham Okay, the tzur of the hitting of the rock. What's the pshat in it? The tzur of right, the tzur of Hazinu. Yeah, tzur tamin paalo, of Hazinu. It goes on to say, and why? What's going on? goes on to say because uh, it talks about Bikita and Batsur again the hitting of the rock goes back to hitting of the rock we go down a few lines and it says that Moshe knows that um, on this rock what is there Uh, Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to read the whole thing I want to just read the relevant parts sorry so Mayim, again, talks about the hitting of the rock. Um, so, where'd it go? Oh, I'm sorry. It's right here in the first line. <laughs> first line, right in the middle. HaTzua Paulo, Pa'lo, V'taman, and there, Yadam Moshe. Heich ka'im nachash alei tzur. Moshe knew that what was on the tzur, the nachash. Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a whole other share. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get that out, but absolutely, there's a tremendous connection between, between Vezot HaBracha and Hazinu Vezot HaBracha and Tzidu Kadin. Okay, tremendous, but I need a whole separate share for that. Okay? Okay. If you email me, I'll try to send it to you. I have it written up. Okay? My email address is on the top of the page, on the first page. So you can email me and blu I'll send you back an answer to that specific question. But we don't have time for it, so time is quickly passing. Okay. Here we go. So my point is, what is Moshe know is on the rock? The Nachash. Where do we get the Nachash from? It's a dot, right? It's a dot story, right? So what do we have here? We have... The zur of the hitting of the rock. We have the zur of hazinu and the nachash of the story of the etadat. Someone's been listening to my share. Okay. Say that. Okay. Let's go back to page three for a moment. A little bit of quick context. Okay, everyone see the four. The four quadrants over here. Anyone see the four quadrants on page three? Yes. Okay. It will be easier for you to follow if you label the columns one and two. Okay, column one and column two, and the rows A and B. Okay, just to make it easier for referencing. Um, the well, it depends which way you're holding the paper, but the one the one that is on. Your right side, as you're holding the paper, on your right side is one, column one, and then column two is one extra. Okay, pericute gimel, right, pericute gimel is one, and then the top one is A and the bottom one is B. Okay? There's a famous question that mefarshim ask and give various answers to. If you take a look at column two, row A, okay, if you look at two A, pasukhaf dalid, pericute dalid, pasukhaf dalid, Hashem says that B'nai Yisrael are not going to go into Eretz Israel because of Chaytamaraglim, right? Because of the sin of the spies, we're not going to go into Eretz Israel right away. And then the whole generation, right? That generation is not going to go into Eretz Israel. Pasuk Haftalid, except for Vavdi, Kalev, Ekev right? So, except for Kalev. And everyone asks, and what about Yoshua? Right? where did Yoshua go? We go down a few more Psukim in 2b, Pasuk Lamid, a direct continuation. And, <laughs> oh, We suddenly remember Yahshua. Okay? So what's going on? So put very, very succinctly, because really deserves much more time, but very succinctly, if you take a look, the key here is structure. Okay? This is one of those places where the meaning is in the structure. So if you take a look, and there's a reason why I made it this little table here. If you have the the uh, four the four quadrants here, A and B represent two different stages in Chay Tamaragla. Okay, there are two different stages. And again, look at it in your, at your leisure. We're just doing this very quickly. It's just for background. If you take a look, you'll see that in A in one A, B'nai Israel say we're not able to. They first imply and then say outright. We're not able to conquer Eretz Israel. We're not able to go to Eretz It's too difficult a task. We can't do it. Okay, we can't. Right, we can't go to Eretz Israel. We can't conquer Eretz We can't take possession of Eretz In the second phase, there's an emphasis on a second aspect. Right, that's in B, in one B. It then talks about that if we go to Eretz Israel, we're going to die. We're going to be killed out. It would be better if we died out in the desert. What's going to be with our wives and children and so on and so forth? Right. The first phase A talks about not being able to go to Eretz Yisrael. The second phase talks about dying, being killed. Okay, talks about death. If you look at Hashem's response on the what I, your left hand side, column two, you'll see that again there are two separate speeches. Hashem addresses B'nai Yisrael twice. The first time is a response to the first stage, and the second is a response to the second stage. The first. The 2A is response to 1A and 2B is response to 1B. Right? So in the first part, he says, just as you said, you're not going to go in Eretz Yisrael. You're going to stay in the desert. That's part one. That's A, I should say. And B is, and you're going to die out in the desert, etc. and your children will be able to go, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Okay? Those are two stages. If you go back to 1A and 1B and you look who stands up and protests in one A? Bayas, Kalev, etc. There's no Yoshua. Okay, why is it a different story? You need a separate chair for that. But the the point is that Kalev is the hero of the first phase of A of one A, and therefore when Hashem, you know, rebukes most of Bnei Israel and commends. You know, those who deserve it. It's Kalev, it's not Yoshua, because Yoshua didn't do anything in that stage. But when it comes to stage B, it was Yoshua and Kalev, right? And that's very clear in Pasuk Yud, um I'm sorry, in Pasuk Vav, in Pasuk Vav, Perik Yudal Pasuk Vav, Yoshua ben Nun, the Kalev ben Funer, etc. And so, here, in 2b, kiim, kaleib, Funavio show up right, it's right there in the psukim. You don't need to make up answers. The, the answer is right there, just to pay attention to what's going on. The point is that, um, we have two distinct phases in terms of the chayt hamaragim. There are really more, but in terms of what we're focused on now. In terms of the onesh, there are two phases. In terms of the chayt and the onesh, there are two phases. If we summarize what those two are, what are the two? There is basically, Galut and Mavet. Exile and death. They are not going to be allowed into Eretz Israel. Right? Galut. They're going to be exiled from Eretz Israel. They're not going to be able to go into Eretz Israel. They're going to remain in the desert. And they're going to die. There's exile and death. Okay? There's exile and death. Those two are the avot. Those are the, the, you know, the, pro, the prototypes of all of Onesh in Tanakh. Basically, everything is a derivative of those two categories, right? There's death and there's exile. And everything else, there are all the things that happen connected to those two. But basically, there's death and exile. And that comes up again and again. You look at any of the Nevi'eh Chorban. This is always the case. Right? What was the, what's the core of the Chorban? There's death and there's exile. Exile from Eretz Israel, exile from Yerushalayim, exile from the Shechina, right? All of those, all the types of exile, and of course, death. Those are the two basic components. And that's we see that in Chayt HaMiraglim. Chayt HaMiraglim, of course, is the catalyst ultimately for the Qurban, right? Tisha B'Av, it's we all know the Gemara at the end of time. The point is that we have here really the paradigm for Onish. it's death and exile, or exile-death. And, and where does this come from? What is the the paradigm of that Onesh, Ganeiden, Ganeiden, right? Mankind is kicked out of Ganeiden and is subject to death. Those are the two primary... Then there are many sub onshim, but those are the basic punishments. The basic punishments are exile and death. right? Those are the two primary ones. And it's not coincidental, you look at the whole story of the Chetmeraglin, which again is not our topic, but just for background, and it's all built on the story of Again, we don't have time to do it, to do justice, but I'll show you one pasuk which is very, very powerful. Okay, One pasuk which is very, very powerful, and that is not on the page. But it's okay, I will read it to you. If you have a Tanakh, which I'm sure that everyone does, you can look at dvarim Perak Aleph, Dvarim Perak Aleph, Pasuk Lamed Tet, where Hashem says to B'nai Yisrael that you are going to die in the desert, etc., but chem and if you're not looking inside, so listen very carefully because it's an amazing paslaq. Uvnechem. Asher Lo Yadu Hayom Tovara Hemayaboshamah. Vilahemetinana Vahemya Vahim Yurashua. Who is going to go into Arit Israel? And who is going to live? The next generation. Asher Lo Yadu. Right? Lo Yadu from the same word Da Tova, right? They said Da Tovara. Asher Lo Yadu Ayom Tovara. The ones who are not Yodaya Tovara they're going to go into Eretz and they're going to go on and live, but the implication is, but not you who were Yodei Tovarah, right? And that's, of course, just one sample, right? We could spend the entire shir just on this little section, but the point is, and they're not finished, but, but the point is that we have this idea that runs throughout all of Tanakh. And Hazinu is a very, very critical piece of that, where we have as the model of Chet and Onesh, of right? this idea of the Eitz Hadad story and its consequences, the two primary consequences being exile and death. What is Moshe Rabbeinu's personal Eitz Hadad? The the Sela, right? The Sela. The Sela where it's decreed that he is going to die and not going to Eretz Israel, right? So for Moshe Rabbeinu, his personal eitz hadat, where he did not obey what God said, and where he is not going to go into Eretz Israel, he's going to be exiled, and he's going to die, right? Obviously, I'm not talking about degree, etc., etc., and what it's about, but I'm saying, but the you know bare bones Moshe Rabbeinu's personal eitz hadat is the sela, and therefore we have this story of we have this this model in Hazinu of the Eitz Hadat narrative, as the model for for Chet, Onesh, etc., and the hope for Tikun, Chuvah, Gula, etc., what is, the, what is the, the foundation of all? The Eitz Hadat story. It then plays out along two channels. On the level of tzibor, Okay, that's the story of Israel Yisrael on, on dimension number one, and dimension number three, Moshe Rabbeinu personally, in terms of the Sela and the Tzur. Okay, so again, to to, to just sum up where we're, we're up to at this point, we have the Eight Hadat as the paradigm, right? Eit Hadat story is the paradigm. Brish should being embraced as a paradigm. We have then that, that's level two, the story about B'nai Adam. We have then the two. Um, the two things that are based on that, the, the, and the Yachid, the, the, na, the national and the, and the personal, and that's B'nai Israel and Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. We turn back to page four. So that's Moshe Rabbeinu's plea. Moshe Rabbeinu's plea is, Please turn the Sela into the Tzor. Give me a chance to rectify this. Let's, I want to undo it. I want to negate it. And what's the answer? So the answer, well, let's not be so hasty. <laughs> the answer, we still have 20 minutes left. The answer is not found in Hazinu, but I believe it is found in the Zotabracha, in the postscript, in the afterword. And so let's turn to the middle, almost, of side four, of page four. Okay, page four, the last page of the booklet. Let's take a look. There's a pasuk that is one of the most amazing and powerful pasukim in the whole Torah, in a certain sense. Um, It's an incredible, incredible pasuk. I, I believe that on the one hand that I am convinced that I know what it means, but I have no idea what it means. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. Okay. The beginning of Ezot HaBracha, the Torah tells us, V'zot Moshe HaLohim Yisrael By the way, Moshe Rabbeinu is referred to as Ish kim throughout Tanakh, and it's a phrase that's used then for neviim in general, but this is the original, right? The original, where it's called Ish and, if I'm not mistaken, was it's only one of the first, and, and take a look at what it says. came Lifnei Before he dies. And the obvious question that anyone would ask, and Chazal already asked this question, the obvious question is, of course Lifnei moto. He didn't do it after he died. Of course he did before he died. When else would he do it? It had to be before he died, right? So... There's another, well, okay. There, there's another statement that comes to mind, um, which is that we all know the Gemara in Tanit if I'm not mistaken, where it talks about the idea that Yaakov a Lomayt. Right? Yaakov didn't die, and the Gemara already asked the question: We well, mean didn't die? They they mummified him, they buried him, they, they you know did. I mean, they had a funeral, they had eulogies. Like, mean didn't die? didn't die. Well, uh, the answer is. That if you take a look, it says in uh, this is in Memtet, okay. And we Yes, that's what the Gemara picks up on, but I think it's more than that. What does it describe here? Yaakov Avinu completes what he's doing. He completes can, he can giving the bracha to his children. He prepares himself and then he dies. And the implication, this is what Chazal, I think, are really getting at, is, I know there are many interpretations, but I think the simple shot is, that saying that Yaakov Avinu does not die in the sense that most people die, meaning that death is normally an interruption of life. Death is normally, death normally has control over us. Yaakov Avinu is described as being control over his own death, right? That he completes what he's doing, he finishes everything he has to do, He's done, prepares himself, and then his life comes to an end. But it's not... The, of course he died in the sense that his heart's not beating anymore and so on and so forth. But he's not... He's not. Uh, he, he, doesn't have, he doesn't die in the normal sense. The same thing that it says about Yaakov Avinu, and there's a tremendous parallelism as we know between the brachot and between the personalities in general of Yaakov and Moshe. In the same sense, Moshe Rabbeinu certainly dies and he's certainly buried, etc. It's described very explicitly in the Torah, but he has control over his own death. And it describes how, what does he do? He gives the brachat to Bnei Israel Moto, motov, just like Yaakov Avinu did. Right? That he first gives the brachat to Bnei Yisrael, and only then does he die. And how does Moshe die? So we all know Moshe dies how? right? Al pi Hashem. But that's the Midrashic interpretation. What is literally, what's the pshat in al pi Hashem? What does it mean al pi Hashem? What does al HaShem mean? All over all over Chumash, let's say. At Hashem's, Hashem's command. Right, in accordance with Hashem's command. al HaShem. And this is a point that's made, in fact, by the Ibn Ezra and by many, many other Mepharshim, that the Silm Pasha, of the Ibn Ezra on the top of the page, that al HaShem means At Hashem's command. Right? In accordance with Hashem's command. If you take a look below in the two parallel boxes, you'll see Moshe has commanded... Moshe is commanded on the left hand side, Alei El Harav Arim, or Ei Eteretz Kenan, Umut Bahar, etc. Right, A very three step command. And in Paraklamadal, by Yal Moshe, Moshe goes up by our Ehu Hashem, and then by Yamat Sham Moshe Eber Adonai, the Eretz Moav Al Adonai. At God's command. In other words, how does Moshe die? What's the the cause of death, so to speak? Hashem commanded him to die, so he died. Now, on the one hand, I think it's very clear that that's what the Pesachim are saying. On the other hand, what does that mean? I have no idea. I can't grasp what that means. That Moshe is attuned to Hashem's command to the degree that if Moshe command, that if Hashem commanded him to die, so then he's like he did any other mitzvah. But, what, but that's what the Torah is telling us. That he dies, Hashem in response to God's command. Hashem tells him to die, so he dies. Moshe has control of his own death. And this is described in the Midrash Panchuma already, Okay, if you look at the middle of the page the Midrash Tanchuma, take a look at this beautiful Midrash Tanchuma. What does it mean, Lifne Moto? b'chitalel datcha shalachar bi Yisrael. What do you think he gave the bracha after he died? U'mal Lifnei moto? What does it mean before his death? Lifne malachamavet. Right? In the presence of the So Shabashasha amar lo'akash baruchu alei. Umut, bahar hazeh. Right? Moshe, it's a creed that he's gonna die. So Moshe thinks that the, that that death has control has power over him. I mean sorry, death thinks that it has power over Moshe. Baba himenu when it harbors over him, I'm not giving into your power, I'm not placed in your control. Now this is a Midrashic way of, explain, of, of presenting it. It's a poetical way of describing it. But what is it saying? It's simply saying, Moshe dies with death hovering over him, but Moshe is in control of his death. Death is not in control of him. And therefore, if means he only dies after he finishes what he has to do. And this, I think, is the Peshach in the Gemara, uh, in Bar etc., where it talks about um, how Moshe is able to write, again, but Moshe is able to write the last eight and how can he write his, about his own death? And the answer is because he has control of his own death. Okay. So I have to tell you, it's, I had an incredible experience uh, many, many, many years ago. Many years ago. Um, I promise it's a true story. I don't, I'm not creative enough to make up stories like this, but this is really true. So I was learning the Zot Bracha. And I, the, I and I thought about this interpretation of Psukkim Al-Pi I hadn't yet seen the Mafarshim who said that Al-Pi Hashem means Ba-Yashem And I thought about this tribe Al-Pi Hashem, and about how he explained about, about uh, the Gemara, about the last Ape Pesukim, and so on and so forth. And I had this whole idea, I was very excited about it. And about two days later, I could be off by a little bit, this is a few decades ago. It could be like, you know, maybe three days later, one day, I don't remember exactly, but a couple of days later... I was looking at a Safer that is not a Safer that I look at every Monday and Thursday uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, That's Sarma Amaro by the Ramah Mipano. It's not on the beaten track for me at least. And I uh, was looking for whatever about a totally different topic. Totally different topic. And I'm flipping through the pages trying to find what I'm looking for. And my eye falls on this thing. He's talking about B'zot Bracha. He's talking about Lifnei To, He's talking about like, you know, uh, and He's talking, then I see the whole thing is there. I was like... It's an amazing thing that happens when, when you learn incredible. But in any case, um, so the reason I mention that is uh, tov, tada. Okay, so with Neymoto. And then I found that the Midrash alludes eludes this idea and that they, there's, a, there's, a, there's a even Ezra and Agran and so on and so forth um, that support this idea. Point number two. Point number one, we'll come back to it. Point number two. Eber Hayarden, the other side of the Jordan. Is it part of Eretz Yisrael? Is it not part of Eretz Yisrael? There are some halachot that apply, some halachot that don't apply. Most do, some don't. Um, there are many indications that it's not, many indications that it that it is. Okay, is. I'm not going through all of them now, but the whole story of B'nai Gad and B'nai Ruvain seems to go in both directions. Because so on the one hand, they have to have special permission. On the other hand, they are given permission. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu can't go into Eretz Yisrael, and he's in Eber The whole Sefer Dram takes place in Eber Is it, isn't it, so the key, and this is already said by many, many Mepharshim, um, a number of achon make this point, I'm just building on it, and Makot, right, it's the next the last box on the page, Mishnah Makot, that talks about the Ari Miklat, right, we, the Ari Miklat, Moshe designates three Ari Miklat in Evar and Yoshua designates the three in Eretz Israel proper. The ones in Evar of Moshe, only take effect or only collate once the ones of, of Yoshua go into effect. And the implication of this, as a number of Achorim say, and I think it's a simple Peshat, that, and it really explains all the things to the best of my knowledge that, that we find by ever HaYardin, ever HaYardin is an extension, it's an annex, it's an extension of Eretz Yisrael. It's not the core, but it's an extension. And therefore, once the full kadusha of Eretz Yisrael goes into effect, it extends to Eivar Yardin as well. But until then, it does not. And therefore, what do we find? That the Ari Miklat, which are symptomatic of being part of Eretz Yisrael, you don't have any Ari Miklat in Florida, right? There's the Ari Miklat only is Eretz Yisrael. Because that's the whole idea of being Golay. You go left from Eretz Yisrael. So the point is that the Ari Miklat are right, part of Eretz Yisrael. When does Eivar Yardin become part of Eretz Yisrael? Only once Miklad are, are going to effect, then it can be extended to the Eber of Moshe. And this is an incredible idea because think how beautiful this is. A friend told me that when he heard this. He was like in tears because it was just, it's just so moving. I'm not quite that emotional, but I, I still think it's beautiful. It's just such an incredible thing. Moshe been begs again and again and again to go into Eretz Yisrael. He's told he can't, he can't, he can't. And then we have all the things in Chazal built on that. Let me go in, even in, even bring in my body after that. No, 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 no. Moshe can't go into Eretz Yisrael. That's the Gezerah. But what happens? Eretz Yisrael comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu, we talked about at length. Moshe Rabbeinu is buried in Efrayim When he is buried there, when he dies and is buried there, it's not part of Eretz Yisrael. But 14 years later, it is part of Eretz Yisrael. and that's where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried in Efrayim which is part of Eretz Yisrael. And this is, of course, why this week's parsha makes such an emphasis, makes such a it stresses so much the idea that where is safer? Dvarim said, right? Moshe Rabbeinu, who is part of Dora Midbar, is going to prepare the Dora Baya We need this twilight zone between Chutz Laaretz and Eretz Yisrael. This this corridor where Moshe Rabbeinu can prepare Bnei Yisrael for Knesset Laaretz for the Dora Baya Aretz. Where does it take place? We're told again and again and again in such fine detail. Eivar right? Because Evar is that twilight zone. It's not Eret Yisrael yet, but it's going to be Eret Yisrael. And that's the transition. That's exactly the setting the Torah emphasizes again and again. That's the same. That's why it talks about the Ari Miklat of Moshe at this point, that the Zot HaTorah Moshe gives the Torah when? Right, when he separates the Ari Miklat of Eivar signifying this. There are two main Onshim of the Chet, of chet of the Etzadat, there are two main onshim of Moshe Rabbeinu's Selah, which he wants to become the Tzor. There's death and there's exile. Neither are revoked. That's true. But both are mitigated. On the one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu he decreed he's going to die, and indeed he dies. But he dies in a way that isn't It's the Yaakov Avinu Lomit mode of death. He dies, but it's with Nei He's able to first complete at least what the, what's before him. He has control of his own death. He's able to finish the talk. To- and he has control of his own death. And it's with Nei Malacham as Chazal described it. There is a mitigation of the degree of death. Moshe's plea in Hazinu is not accepted 100%, maybe not even 50%. But to some degree it is accepted, both in terms of death and in terms of galut, in terms of exile, Moshe Rabbeinu does not get to go into Eretz Israel, but he does get buried in Eretz Yisrael, in Yardim, which becomes Eretz Israel. I just want to, um, in conclusion, point out, there are countless places, we started with, in Tanakh, that are based on Ha'azinu. There is, just to mention a few off the top of my head, there is, all of Sefer Yeshayahu, there's so much of Yechezkel, there's um, Kohelet, there's the third Sefer of Tehillim, and it goes on and on and on. One of them is Sefer Yeshayahu. If you take a look at the bottom of the page, just very quickly, the very first, the beginning of the first and second parshiot of, of Yeshayahu, Shem'u Shamayim Vazini, are it's obviously based on Hazinu as Chazal pointed out, Rashi, etc. Shimu dvar Hashem k'sinei stom, v'hazinu tarat elukenu am amora, right? once again, we go for, further. Bala ha-mabet lanetzach, Umaha Adonai Elohim, dima'a me'al kol panim, v'charpat amo yasir me'al kol ha'aretz, ki Adonai Diber, the idea of death being obliterated, and a little bit later in Perek Mem Gimel, we read, um, Gam yoma nihu veein miadi mi shivena. Again, this is that pivotal pasuk in Hazinu, The two halves of it between these two psukim. and we come to the conclusion of Sefer Yeshayahu, Perik Samach Vav. Perak We read the following: And it continues. And again, evekol select but and continues Okay, the idea of the new Shammai and va'aretz to replace the old Shammai and va'aretz, the idea of the uh, the of the uh, of death being swallowed up and being removed, together with the idea of of Hashem saying is I alone and there's no other, and um, the cherub, the Eish, etc. All of this is a just a very very short version of what we find in Sefer Yeshayahu as a summary of everything that we learned today, I believe, um, or certainly the the foundation of it, and uh, how these pieces uh, fit together. Okay, so hopefully this is an it will serve as a helpful introduction to Parashat Haazinu and help you to use this in your study of the rest of Tanakh, which I think it's such an important key for. Again, thank you very much for joining. Give me the opportunity.